Welcome to episode 182 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from the No Pro Studios in Los Angeles. And this episode is brought to you by listeners like you and our friends at Thymeli Arts in Los Angeles, which is where NoPro headquarters is now. Uh, I'll be there this weekend uh, catching a show, actually. Uh uh, Thymeli Arts provides NoPro with co-working space. Uh, a little bit about Thymeli. It's an 8,000 square foot loft with multiple rehearsal rooms, dance studios, reserved office, and shared workspace. That's what we use. Located right off the 101 on the corner of Santa Monica and Western, this spot gives you easy access to downtown Glendale, Studio City, and did I mention downtown because I wrote downtown twice in the copy? <laughs> Sometimes I'll just comment on the thing while I'm doing it. This is why I don't make movies or television, because, like, the scripts would just suddenly, like, in the middle. Maybe I should make a short like that. Anyway, the point is, uh, check out Thymeli. Um, if you're if you're in L.A. and you're either rehearsing stuff or you're making stuff, you've probably connected. It's also where our friends over at Leia, of, of which I am a friend, um, that is over there. Um, hey, you know what? I'm only... I am three quarters of the way through this cup of coffee. So honestly, uh, I should be uh, together more. But uh, I haven't talked to like uh, someone who wasn't my barista in about f- or my housemate in about four days. So uh, not in person anyway. Over the phone constantly, constantly over the phone. Hi, how's 2019 treating you? Welcome back to the show. Uh, last week was our No Pro Live. If you haven't checked it out yet, it is very dense. Uh, it is like 85 minutes long of like everybody in Los Angeles in a room. It's fantastic. Um, I may actually listen to it, which is semi-narcissistic, but I often enjoy um, driving in the car and uh, listening to a particularly good interview. Uh, not because of anything I do, but because of you know the way people are. This time out, we've got another... Uh, kind of like everybody get together one. Uh, this is uh, an after dark that Catherine put together with Leah and Edward and Michaela, uh, three of our writers uh, in New York City. Uh, the New York City team is strong, strong, strong group. Um, and um, I'm I'm excited to uh, hear this episode and, and get a sense of who these people I work with are because um, I have not met in person any of them but Catherine, uh, we we are a um, we're we're a we're a far flung family. Far flung. Ooh, that's a that's that's a tongue twister. If I do it right, it's not quite Peter Parker here to pick up a passport, please. But um, I just winked. Twenty nineteen has been interesting already. Um, this month has been um, challenging, uh, but not cruel. Right. Like there was a lot of 2018 that felt cruel at times, like, you know, something would happen and then something worse would immediately happen. And then and that's just in your own life. And then something on the macro scale would also go just like, how is this possible? And then you go, well, in 1784, they didn't think to write this rule in. And you're like, are you kidding me? So that was our 2018 sort of collectively. I feel like I can I can 
I can say that more people I know had that 2018 than had the sort of like, oh, yeah, the news is weird 2018. And I understand a lot of a good number of people also had the oh, well, the news is weird Um, this year so far. um, Anyway, let's let's save that. Let's save that for the back half. Uh, let's save it for my part of the show. This right now is Catherine and Leah's and Edward's and Michaela's part of the show. But a couple of bits of business to do. First off, over to the Patreon. Let's check in on the Patreon. And the Patreon's about $10 away from where we used to be. So we're getting close. Getting back on track. Very happy about that. Uh, again, we're having a positive January. I suppose the negative December we had. Um, our latest backers, who we have to thank for that, are Chris Wessels and Luis Salter. Thank you both for jumping on the screaming train that flies off into infinity. All right. The sustaining backers of No Prestinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Herstan, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all, gentlemen, for keeping us alive. Um, a lot more on the back end. Let's get into After Dark with the New York City team. I also, I just winked at you again. All right. I'm winking today. I don't know why. You're listening to the No Presidium Podcast. My name is Catherine Yu, and I'm coming at you from the New York City branch of No Presidium with three of our wonderful writers. So tonight we have... Uh, this is Leah Abelson. I'm uh, one of the writers, as Catherine said, and also just an immersive creator in New York, and I'm super happy to be here. I'm Edward Milchrist, another one of the writers here in New York, <laughs> uh, originally from London and uh, checking out as much as I can whilst being a music teacher. And I'm Michaela Holland. I'm an immersive creator myself who also really likes dance performances, so not necessarily immersive. And I'm also a writer based here in New York. Awesome. So um, it's the beginning of the year, um, January 2019. And Leah, let's start with you. What's some stuff that you think maybe uh, not enough people got to see last year? Oh, man. Okay. There were a couple, uh, you know, on my way over here, I was thinking about some stuff uh, that I've seen this year. And two really popped out for me that I don't think have gotten talked out, like talked up as much as they should have been. Um, one of which I saw with you, Catherine, uh, Heydays, which was in mm, Prospect right, right. Park. Um, it was a really kind of um, like homegrown piece taking place throughout Prospect Park, um, you know, right in the midst of everything. Uh, you know, you can't close down Prospect Park. Um, but it was a pretty expansive piece, especially for um, kind of like a beginner company, like a fledgling company. Uh, they took us through a big portion of the park and had, what would you say, like a cast of eight, maybe? Maybe it, more? It felt pretty big. It, yeah. was, um, it was a circle of high school friends mm-hmm. getting together for a reunion, but there's, there was this entire subplot about mm-hmm. wanting to go back and change time, and one of them had written some sort of philosophical book mm-hmm. about time and memory yeah. and one person took that concept from his book and went with it too hard like she leaned in super super hard and was convincing the rest of the group that he his theories were right even though mm-hmm. he himself didn't believe his own theories yeah. anymore so it, it got it was very layered I'd it say. took on this really kind of like 
cultish vibe, which I already kind of have a weakness for. Um, I'm always drawn to that kind of material where it's sort of like uh, supernatural sci-fi in the real world kind of... Um, yeah, it was already like magical really, realism. Yeah, it was it. very surreal. Yeah. I think there was a family that um, um, biked by yeah. during one of the scenes, and then people were like, people go and they take wedding pictures at the boathouse, yeah. and all of a sudden there's also this play happening next yeah. door. I guess I remember um, the kind of like aha moment for me, which uh, luckily was quite early in the show was towards the beginning they had a character monologuing uh, at what I think was the boathouse probably or some kind of event space uh, located on a pond, a pretty big pond. Um, And while they were talking, they sort of started mentioning these vignettes of people. And if you looked out across the pond, which was, you know, big, like I said, you could see actors, you know, acting out the vignettes around the pond far from you um and the timing was just impeccable again especially for a like fledgling company i thought it was incredibly impressive the like feats of timing that they accomplish um so yeah i was incredibly impressed by them and i also just i think again like the magical realism uh vibe especially in a public space in a big city um feels very immersive um right off the bat and they were really able to take that and just make something super cool out of it. Uh, so that's one. Should I share my second now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the second, um, we actually, I don't believe any of us got to review it because it was still in workshop when I saw it. Um, but it was nine cases out on Colonel's Row on Governor's Island. Um, which I believe only ran for a weekend, maybe even only for a day. It was like two weekends because they were playtesting. Yeah, they were just playtesting it um, when I saw it. And I've never gone to a show and workshop and wanted to reach out to them and be like, are you sure you don't want us to review this right now? Um, And this show left me really feeling that way. Um, So the experience was sort of, and I say this with some caution, It was sort of um, half escape room, half immersive show, which I know is kind of like a larger conversation about where that line is. Um, But this piece really took, um, I think a lot of times when you hear that, it's an an escape room primarily with some acting. Mm -hmm. And this felt like a performance primarily with an escape room context to it. Uh, so it's a lot more detailed than this, but the basic premises was that we were in a house that had captives in it, uh, four captives, I think, who had been brainwashed by somebody, um, and you were trying to free them from the house. Uh, and I don't want to say too much because I do think that they're probably trying to put it back up, uh, since that was just in workshop. Um, but the experience really centered around trying to release these like fugitives um which was incredibly moving like there was something really effective about doing an escape room but having the consequences of that escape room be people who were right there with you and responsive to you and talking Mm -hmm. to you um especially again and maybe this is a through line to a lot of things that i like but 
in sort of a surreal space where they weren't acting the way you expected them to. And it wasn't the easy, like, empathy card of, oh, it's a fugitive child or it's somebody who's locked up and abused and like which can be very emotional but this was more you were freeing somebody for the case of freeing them not because they were like winning over your uh heart winning over your empathy um which led to a really fascinating escape room experience it made the timing and like the pressure of time really effective because you wanted to see what those people were like on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, It felt like there were real stakes involved. Absolutely. It felt like there were really like intense stakes. Um, And one thing I really enjoyed that stands out that I don't think a lot of escape rooms do very effectively is we, as an audience, were able to work on separate projects at once which for me, I'm a very like independent um, gamer. When I'm in like a game space, I really want to like take control and just do it myself. And with this show, you had four different people you were trying to release. So if everybody was working on one thing, this kind of like sandbox environment allowed you to go to a totally different room, maybe even a different like floor, and speak to a different character and work your way through that um, on your own which I really enjoyed and I think wouldn't have been possible if they didn't lean so hard into the performative aspects of it because it wasn't just like you're trying to solve this game. It was there's four different games that are fleshing out this entire story. So you were in one of those big old row houses mm-hmm. that used to house the military on Governor's Island and yeah. you just essentially had like the run of the place? Exactly, yeah. Oh, which oh, yeah. Also, that was something really cool was... Um, you know, I've lived in New York now about, I think, like, eight years-ish, give or take. And I've never been to Governor's Island, which I think a lot of people maybe haven't, just because it's a pain in the ass to get there. Uh, but I really felt removed from the city. Um, and I felt like having the run of that entire house uh, in a place I'd never been in my own city was a really like impactful feeling. Um, yeah, and a lot of those houses aren't really kept up the best, so you might be walking past the decrepit one to get to the one that they've given to an artist collective mm-hmm. and you go inside and the floorboards are all creaky and maybe someone's drawn on one of the walls and the paint's peeling and you really feel like this is a house that's been lived in. It felt yeah. extremely lived in. And we also, there was some content out on the island as well most of it was in the house, but, like, they took us to a hill behind the house that was totally unoccupied. And it was, I don't remember um, exactly when, but sometime in the summer on Governor's Island, like, it was a, a busy time. People were definitely there, but they were able to find the places on the island that felt remote, mm. um, which was really, uh, it was just kind of a magical moment to... Feel And I'm sure they were uh, happy for it, too, that no one happened to be in those spots at just the right time. But it was a really, like, um, removed experience. Like, it felt very in its own bubble. And I guess kind of the through line between Heydays and Nine Cases is this idea of finding an immersive experience in a public zone that can't be shut off. Like, they were two shows put on by fairly new 
companies taking on this huge uh, responsibility and risk of going into a public space in the middle of one of the busiest cities in the world and saying, we're going to put a show on here and we're going to take people outside. We're going to act in front of all of these people. We're going to risk people missing their ferry. We're going to risk people getting eaten to death by mosquitoes in Prospect Park, which they planned very well for Heydays did. Yes. Uh, they gave us all bug spray, which I'm very happy about. Yes, alongside the waiver, you get a can of bug spray. Yeah, uh, which a special shout out to them for that. Yes, thank very you very thoughtful. much. Bruhaha Theater Project. Yeah, thank you. You're great. Um, yeah, but I, I'm really impressed by the smaller companies who, and as I guess as a creator myself, who are seeing the free spaces or the cheaper spaces or the spaces you can get through application um, and looking at the challenges and not seeing them as barriers, but seeing them as things to work with and bring out this sort of um, magic in everyday life where you feel like you haven't left, but you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. What about you, Ed? What's on your mind? Uh, well, 2018 was huge. Like, like, there have been so many shows here in New York, and it's just... It's fascinating hearing you guys talk about some shows I haven't even come across in this humongous year of so many new companies, so many new shows. What do you mean? Aren't you reading the site, Ed? You should be reading the site. <laughs> every day, every <laughs> day, but there's so much. Subscribe to Nepresenium. It's great. <laughs> um, there's been so much. Um, I'm, like Michaela, I'm a big fan of um, dance inspired immersives. Uh, this year, I uh, got to go to uh, the fifth floor of the McKittrick Hotel, which mm. which was a special experience. Sixth but floor. Sixth floor. Sixth floor. <laughs> Sorry. It, he was so addled afterwards. Mm. Oh, oh, amazing. <laughs> um, but this year, Link Dance had Beloved Departed, which was um, Orpheus and Eurydice, set in a beautiful church on the Upper West Side. Um, that was really special. Um, just recently, I saw uh, Carmen to Havana and back again, mm. uh, which was super great. Um, I'm a music teacher, so music is obviously a big part of what I do. And so it was Carmen, it was the opera, it was Bizet, all that sort of stuff. But it was set in a 1950s uh, Havana club. And so everything was salsa, everything was dance, everything was amazing outfits, which I just couldn't believe. And that was um, an amazing experience. And it looks like they're planning on bringing that back at some point in 2019, which is really exciting. Um, so I, I just love the fact that I'm paying money to go see dance because I never thought I would. I think immersive theater is like the best trick that modern dance has played. <laughs> like, because if you, if you say to people, hey, come spend a hundred bucks on See, a dance, show. Oh, a dance show. I mean, most people would say, "What? What are you talking about?" Right. But you give so them, right. you give them narrative, or you give them a space to explore, or you give them, you give them agency. Suddenly, uh, it's it's addictive. So, like, I love it big mm-hmm. time. Um, and the other big one for me this year has been uh, Broken Ghost Immersives, mm-hmm. uh, which is head up by Ian McNeely, mm-hmm. Ian, uh, who has done two great shows this year, which I know Leah's seen, I know a bunch of us. Uh, early this year, there was a supervillain uh, convention, I think that's what it was called. Yes. Which yes. was amazing. You, uh, you went into a, a space in Prospect Park and you were given a role. You are a supervillain who has a very specific need, a specific want uh, to conquer the world. And you're there with all the other supervillains and you're chatting and you're trying to work out who's got that idea 
item that you need? Who's got the gloves of the invincibility or whatever? You all else? have competing missions. Uh, yeah, everyone is given uh, competing missions, and there's like a basement area, and suddenly you find out there's another faction, and it turns out the police were in on the game the whole time. And That's so I, spoiler, Ed. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Obviously, he's going to run it again, right? I really, really hope so. This was so great. I. So it's like Rogue's Gallery. Ro- Rogue's Gallery, that's what it's called. Rogue's Gallery, but we're all super villains. Um, that that's was super so great. Cool. And then his next one, which has come out and has been having a great run at Wildrens, mm-hmm. our friends at Wildrens, uh, Bunker, the Bunker, mm-hmm. which has been an amazing mix of uh, choose your own adventure, um, escape room in some sense of the, the gaming portions of that mm. and like a D&D immersive it, it's so hard to explain quite what the bunker is mm-hmm. because it's a beautiful mishmash of all of the best parts um, the only way to explain it really is that you are trapped in a bunker as the name suggests end of the world a mysterious end of the world and you you're, are you're frozen in time frozen in time now you've suddenly woken up mm-hmm. and you're getting messages from a uh, computer screen debunk debunk, debunk is, is sending you live messages and you can chat to debunk and ask questions and you're trying to work out what happened to the world how do you escape and maybe you get to go out into the real world and see what crazy things are happening there. Be careful, you might not come back. You might not come back. And that was so much fun. And I I mean, the the premise sounds quite dark and quite gloomy, but actually it's such a fun experience. And it was, it felt like a game, it felt like a party. You could go with people you knew, people you didn't know. and again, live performers. Debunk yeah. is actually like a human on the other yeah, side. Which yeah. is so great. It's so cool. Yeah. I think... Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think one of my favorite things about the bunker wasn't just its amazing use of like resources with the acting and just the playing idea of using stickers and this idea of using kind of like almost playtest materials mm-hmm. that made the universe come to life, but just like the really smart way they also use technology. Like... Y- when you're sitting there in the bunker, you're actually communicating with all the other bunkers that have kind of gone down in your area, in your country. We're not really sure which one that is. <laughs> um, and and you're also speaking to, like, quote-unquote, an AI named Debunk. And all of it's just, like, yes, fairly, like, easy to understand text message technology, fairly easy to understand Google Hangouts. Kind of like anyone could set up all this technology, but just... The way it's integrated in the world and the way it's utilized, like to me, that was one of the first and maybe, dare I say, only examples of where I've seen like technology integrated into a real world acting, LARP, Mm -hmm. escape room-esque experience that actually to me made sense, did not take away from the experience Mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. And actually, I think just augmented it in a new level. And I think for me, like coming from a VR, AR background myself, which I did not mention in my introduction, (laughs) um, I think for me, a really important part of like the work that's being done is work being done, not just for the sake of saying you did cool work with cool toys, Mm -hmm. but work that's being integrated and implemented with a reason. Technology, like to me, it should never just be like a we did a VR or we did right. an AR. Like you don't want to just slap it on. Like he really yeah. integrated it into the design because I think we had four Android tablets. Right. Mm-hmm. Each tablet let you speak to a different bunker. At some point, one of the bunkers got overrun by this weird alien hive force. Yeah, and now they started to turn And they started texting you. you crazy stuff. Which, yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then debunk 
kind of embodied by a laptop webcam. Mm-hmm. And so when debunk doesn't like debunk doesn't want you to do something, sometimes the camera just starts like shouting at you. <laughs> yeah, I think too. I, a huge part of the genius of that is the lack of onboarding that's needed for that. We all know how to text. We all know how to, you know, yeah. speak to a webcam. Right. And it's just Skype. It's just Skype. It was so easy to play. Mm-hmm. I also think, and if you can't tell, everyone at this table is <laughs> a big fan of the bunker. Um, but I said this in my review of it, and I'll say it again. Uh, I could not have more respect and admiration for Ian, who yeah. kind of is like the, for lack of a better term, the dungeon master of yeah, this he, game. Yeah, he, he's the game master. Yeah. He's a character. He's incredible. And a narrator. Yeah, I, so I, a little history on me, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was my first introduction to fantasy. It was my first introduction to role-playing games. And it's very dear to my heart. It's something that my father taught me to do that I did primarily with my family for a long time. Um, And as an adult, to enter the immersive space, uh, the entire time I've been an attendee of immersive or a creator of immersive, the thought has always been in the back of my head, like, this is Dungeons and Dragons. This is the feeling that you felt as a kid where you just sit down and tell a story with your friends. And I think in immersive, in general, that prevails and kind of you can always feel that storytelling aspect, but I have yet to see another show bring in storytelling in the way that The Bunker has, where it is one dude like mm-hmm. pulling you out into a thinly decorated hallway it's not it's fine it's gorgeous but it's not like some you know big set there's no trickery there's no distraction it is one guy in a hazmat suit pulling cards with you and telling you a story Mm -hmm. and for that to be so fantastically entertaining is the most if i like this might be a a big statement but it's the most impressive feat I've seen in immersive this year absolutely Mm -hmm. to have somebody be able to bring that spirit of storytelling that's existed now for speaking in like tabletop terms uh for 40 some years uh thereabouts don't come for me D&D nerds uh but to see that spirit that I treasured so much as a kid finally come out because I had felt it the entire time in the background of things. Mm. But this is the first experience where somebody sat down and was like, we're just going to play together. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if we break character. It doesn't matter if you make a stupid decision with big air quotes around it. Uh, he just wanted to play. Um, and we, a lot of times, kind of glorify the idea of play. Like, oh, we love the idea of play, imagination, like uh, exploring the space. But no one, as much as Ian, has just wanted to play. Yeah, like that super skilled facilitator. Yeah. And and what I love about that is that you're invited to play in one of whichever way you want to play. Mm -hmm. So if if you're coming in from like a LARP background and Mm -hmm. you want to take that on, absolutely. If you're coming in from an escape room and you want to be doing the puzzle, because there are puzzles involved Mm -hmm. as well, you can do that. If you're not a fan of jumping in and we're 
randos like mm-hmm. they go and text debunk or text mm-hmm. a different bunker and try to get that so yeah. it didn't matter yeah. what you were bringing into it there was a way for you to play and join in and be an important part of the narrative and, and the layers think, were deep yeah. yeah the layers were deep like I think what amazed me about the narrative was that and not to spoil anything but I got to be <laughs> one of the people that didn't come back and so the use of space <sighs> with that was really cool and like the use of like even more puzzle building and the use of even like an, an additional actor, but how they were utilized and how they were brought in mm-hmm. was just so like not just like his ability to facilitate, not just his ability to be able to be someone you can really feel like you can play with, but also just like the genius of just the layers of narrative with what he did and the idea that and this is not a spoiler is like no two bunkers are mm-hmm. ever no. ever in the world going to be the same because. It just, like, doesn't matter, like, how you throw people into a room together. There's always going to be one little tick or outcome of what happens and all the multiple moments you have, like, to turn right or left or go forward or go backward or to, like, spin in a circle and just sit on your space. In a sense, like, you just will never get the same bunker Mm -hmm. experience. And Ian was actually saying with ours was like he had never seen that ending even close Wait, to Wait, he gave you that true. line too? Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. But, it, no, he but had, in that he, sense. At some point he had 256 endings. Yeah. And then he added some more variables. Yes. Yeah. And then I was like, what are you doing, sir? But then well, also, like, you have the genius to do that. Yeah. Well, and that's... Actually, I'm like really glad you brought that up. That's one thing that I love so much about the bunker is the humility that the team brings to the piece as well. I've been a couple times, and both times they've Ian specifically, but also the rest of the team as someone who also experienced what you did. I knew that you know there was more to it, and they came back into the room at the end of it, and we're like hey, like, show's done. Like, if you want to hang out and talk about it, you can have one of the Bud Lights that we've been just, like, doling out, you know, essentially for free, and we can just hang out and talk. And that is in such, like, that's the spirit of creating something. It feels like the show is constantly being created, which is just exceptional. And I find that it takes an amazing amount of bravery to basically come in and say we're just gonna play we're just going to make this uh experience and whoever comes in can experience it Mm -hmm. i mean it's the first immersive show that i've brought someone i worked with to uh like i had a friend at work who had been out of uh theater and out of acting for a while uh and was really missing sort of that play and I said, you know, come with me to the bunker. I've been before. It was really fun. We work in a tech space. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, come on by. And he loved it. And, you know, he and I were very similar, but it's also the kind of thing where I didn't know what he was going to be into. I don't know, you know, right. what was he's he like in a Was he a puzzle person? Was he a tabletop yeah. person? Exactly. No yeah. idea. Um, and he adored it. And the group that we were with was so different from the mm-hmm. first group I'd been with. And I also remember watching him get the most out of it, the way I was getting the most out of it. And I was so happy to have an experience like that where you could bring whoever you wanted into it. Yeah. And they would have fun. Like, totally. I have total confidence that I could bring anyone Mm -hmm. into the bunker and be happy with how they felt 
Not to throw Ed. Do it. Do it. <laughs> throw him. So Ed, I, I'm assuming you have a partner. I think we were hearing yeah. whisperings. Okay, cool. So um, does your partner have a background in immersive? Is, does she go with you a lot to these things? Or he? Or well, gender non so, specific? Well, so, uh, <laughs> no judging. This is no, a safe space. No judging. Well, we, we've been together for a couple of years and we really have bonded massively over uh, immersive theatre. Um, she has actually worked with um, Link Dance Company, mm-hmm. and that's because we went to see one of their shows last year, which was Like Real People Do. Which, which is was, also outside. Which is also another, outside. That's another beautiful one. That's a outside narrative. You're following a couple from beginning of relationship to end, and mm-hmm. it was fairly early days for us, so it was, it was a, a little close to home. <laughs> but it's a little it was, heavy for our first date. Yeah, yeah. But it was so beautiful, and... Because of that, it, I think for her, it, she, she's a dancer, she, she's studying at the moment, it's just opened up a whole new world of what dance can be and what it can mean to people. And I know she's now looking far more into how dance can have narrative effect mm. and not just be, I'm putting my leg up in the air because I can. Yeah. It's, <laughs> or just like just expression exactly. or just expression, but trying to tell more of a story. And, Absolutely. And that's where, again, I would never have thought I would have been to see a dance show seven, eight times in a year because it's a dance show. There's so much possibility for dance mm-hmm. in immersive. It's a great opportunity for expression when perhaps words can't say or the emotions mm-hmm. get too much. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you sleep no more as you're... Uh, then she fell. Um, obviously, they, uh, Third Rail had a great year this year as well. Gavrin, mm-hmm. you lucky person. You're, <laughs> you got to see uh, the McKinnon. What was it called? Oh, the, uh, not the McKinnon. The city. That's Shanghai. Uh, oh, uh, behind, behind <laughs> the, the city. McKellen. McKellen. The other McKellen. one. Behind the city, sponsored by the McKellen. Yeah. Indeed. And but dance it has so much possibility in immersive. And I know there's a few projects coming up in the next mm-hmm. uh, few weeks, few months, uh, which look like they'll be incorporating dance as well. So, yeah, um, yeah we're, we're in an exciting place. I love yeah. kind of like hearing that because I do come from a classical ballet background. I was a trained ballet dancer for 17 years, and it was sort of my career path for a long time. Uh, and I, as a lot of uh, dancers feel, specifically ballet dancers, but all dancers, um, it has this ticking clock of when you reach 30, your career is over, which isn't always true, um, but it's true for a lot of people where they feel like it's an end. There's an easy, soon, um, kind of looming end to it. And when I first uh, got involved in Immersive and saw Sleep No More for the first time and saw all these dancers who were of all ages uh, moving beautifully and seeing a show led by dance, which I think is, before Immersive happened, was very rare outside of a very specific community, I was incredibly moved. Mm. And I felt mm. so comforted looking at, I mean, there were, you know, there's people as old as, you know. Yeah, you got to have someone play Duncan, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, triple, you know, double, triple my age at the time that I first saw it. Um, maybe not so much anymore, but at the time. Um and looking at them and having this moment of, wow, dance can be so cool. And it can go on well past uh, yeah. what I've been told it can go past. Past the proscenium. Past the proscenium, yeah. for sure. Oof. People can dance right by me, which was incredible not to feel separated from it. Because I do think, for better or for worse, 
before immersive, um, dance felt quite removed. It felt kind of sterile. And it's such a not sterile uh, art form. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would like to say this is very unrelated, um, but as an immersive performer, I've had Ed's partner in a one-on-one before, and you can feel when there are two dancers in the room together. Uh, she was just magical to have in that one-on-one space. I felt so connected because I think even though it was for a non-dance piece, the awareness of the physicality of being so close to each other, uh, you could smell it when she walked in the room that it was two dancers meeting each other. Um, and that was a really moving experience for me. And Michaela, you, you have a dance background as well, right? Yeah. I feel like, so I kind of want to, I want to like rewind and like wrap a few ends up with like little yeah. s- sweet little bow ties. So I also take my partner to a lot of immersive things and she comes from a film background. And so it's really interesting trying to kind of like bring her into this immersive world. So, um, and it all comes together where I say that she and I went and saw The Bunker one mm. weekend, and then we saw Then She Fell the <gasps> weekend right oh. after. Oh my god. <laughs> what and, a girlfriend. Well, yeah. Was it your first time, too? Yeah, so it was my first time to both of That's them. That's a good kind of date expanse. Yes. I, kind of, I threw her in. I also, she's also done like a ton of VR stuff. Anyway, so... <laughs> um, and this might be slightly sacrilegious, but just about riffing again on our love for the bunker and wrapping it up and going into dance, <laughs> we actually felt like we had been cheated a little bit and then she fell because we had just kind of come off this amazing high of the bunker. Which wow. Was super interactive. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So, and, and not to say that then she felt it wasn't gorgeous and beautiful and we didn't love it. And also like her coming from a film background has a very different quote unquote lens mm-hmm. than I do coming from a dance background. So, not to say that, obviously, like, the bunker versus then she fell as, like, a, a one-on-one Super Smash Brothers brawl, but, like, <laughs> and, like honestly, like, there's, like, it just is very telling to you that, like, I come from a dance background, but I, I left then she fell being, mm. like, I think I would have just gone and seen the bunker again. Wow. Um, that's huge. Maybe. It's like, that's they're wild. totally different experiences, Totally. Though. Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. But coming from the high of what we loved about the bunker, yeah. but then going into the very tracked, like, clockwork, like, of yeah. when she fell. But so I anyway, mean, you know, you don't always want to wanna make a story every night. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. not to, but like, yeah. And then, yeah, so I have a dance background, which was so funny that we were talking about ourselves as dancers. So like, I have more of a, Abby Lee Dance Mom's background. Oh. I grew up in competitive dance. And so different. So different. So different. So different. <laughs> but what's interesting was I, and not to say like my era, but like the 2000, the 2009 to 2012 era of competitive dance was like right before Abby Lee's Mom's Dance Mom's really hit. Mm-hmm. And we were actually all dabbling in narrative dance. Like mm. we had already done a weird psycho circus piece. We had already <laughs> done a, a piece with like, this like box that was like life size and the box had fear written all over it and we were all inside our own box of fear like breaking (laughs) open like we were doing these weird like immersive interactive competitive dancing but I had even taken it to the next level in my own choreography for high school and been like yeah that's cool but like let's get everyone in the bleachers doing our dance moves with us (laughs) and have dancers go out into the dance 
Have dancers leave the gym floor, go into the bleachers, teach dance moves during the dance performance, and everyone doing dance moves together. That's so funny. That's so, like, amazing. Even then, there was like this like push and like feeling for me to be like, how can we just bring people into our world? So yeah, I think like dance shows that I have been super inspired by mm-hmm. that again might have kind of fallen off the radar because they were like literally for a second. Heidi Latsky Dance Company, like if y'all haven't heard about Heidi Latsky Dance Company, they did this beautiful, it's a sculpture garden um, esque walk around immersive interactive type of piece at the Smithsonian Design Museum, and they are touring the piece now. But what Heidi Latsky Dance does, and this is actually a huge part of what I'm passionate about, so. <laughs> Segway there. Give me my soapbox. Is <laughs> like it showcases dancers of all shapes and sizes and forms of abilities and potential disabilities. So like Mm -hmm. dancers with missing limbs, dancers with Mm. um, visible and invisible disabilities, dancers with obvious like cerebral palsy. um, And these dancers move gorgeously right alongside the fully able dancers. Mm. And just her ability to like showcase movement, it showcase athleticism through electrical powered wheelchairs, athletic wheelchairs, people with crutches, Mm -hmm. people who potentially are dancing with a um, type of prosthetic or a walker. It's just, it's gorgeous. And they are all about the immersive interactive of this idea. And what I loved about the sculpture garden, it's literally just a assisted voice Mm -hmm. that is just going through profiles of every person. Wow. So like male, 24, walks with a limp, has a stubby arm, moves, shakes uncontrollably from time to time. So this like very sterile audio, no music, no composition, and just this gorgeous movement. Um, So that was at the Smithsonian Design Museum for literally a second, but Heidi Latsky Dance Company based in New York, they're doing touring, they're doing a couple of um, showcases like throughout New York. So I think definitely like they've just been like, for me, the dance of this year, like most inspiring I saw. Um, and I'm super excited for the mortality machines. So we'll segue into this year, I guess. Which, well, and that's a good, uh, I guess, kind of point is that I think Sinking Ship has done a lot this year that I've kind of been thinking on. So mortality machines been on my radar kind of too. Because I did Ascension with them, Project Ascension, back in May, um, which was my first LARP experience, and just absolutely incredible. Um, And I'm sure part of that is that I'd never done a LARP before, even though I'm a tabletop role player, and I entered this world that I knew, like, I should have been in before. But I saw it, and I was enamored, just completely um, taken with the entire experience. But mortality machine taking sort of the you know this company that I have seen great work from before and bringing like the dance into it which I obviously feel very tied to I'm incredibly excited to see what they do this year absolutely yeah yeah that's opening soon again at Wildrance Wildrance yeah that space is so beautiful it's so cool and Jamie Vaughn are the coolest. So if like yeah. you're listening and you're somewhat based in New York or you're looking to dabble mm. and you want to come to New York, like just go tour Wilderness, reach out to mm-hmm. Jamie Vaughn. They are the nicest, most approachable, like 
They're very, very close. Yes. That space yeah. is amazing. They will collaborate. They will They want to meet people. They, they want to meet, meet everyone in, who's interested in the space. Um, yeah. And if you hear like, oh, it's a basement space on Canal Street, don't, uh, you know, don't turn a nose up at it. It is so much more than that. It's yeah. such a cool space. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like having it so accessible and still be so beautiful is just like... Such a lottery win! It's incredible. Yeah, it's such a treat. And I know they've been on the podcast before, but like they'll tell you, like they wanted to create some sort of space that was a little more manageable than like a Medkitrick. Yeah. For people like us and people who I'm sure are listening to this podcast who just have a passion to create and have a passion to do this new form of storytelling, newish, <laughs> but like but the, just like don't have the capacity to. To yeah. like rent a whole building in New York City, right. and I totally. just love yeah. no, that. They they partner and they collaborate, and they really help folks get off the ground. Yeah. yeah. Before we move forward, I actually you talking about uh, the museum piece, mm-hmm. like a piece in the museum. There's one piece I forgot to mention with stuff that happened this year that I think was absolutely incredible. Uh, Prurience at the Guggenheim. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> absolutely spectacular. Uh, it I was, have no idea how to talk about it without oh spoiling my God. it. And I think Kit wants to bring it back. Okay, so I'll keep it one sentence uh, <laughs> as spoiler-free as possible. It was at the Guggenheim Museum. This isn't going to be one sentence. I absolutely <laughs> lied, but I'll try to keep it spoiler-free. Guggenheim Museum, um, you're in a like group therapy circle for sex and pornography addicts. And it's led by one artist who's uh, UK-based, I believe. Yeah, he's a comedian. <laughs> yeah, well, and he, my God, was he incredible. He, so he is acting as, like, the... Facilitator. Um, facilitator. But, like, the world's worst The world's worst facilitator. Judgmental, yeah. unfair, a little flighty. Just incredible. And he uh, is sort of leading this group of pornography addicts through this very, like, culty uh, group therapy, obviously, like-esque. Um, self-help DVD. Self-help. Yeah. There's, like, DVD recorded videos yeah. that you watch and together. For me, I'm somebody who actually has had a very little bit of experience with group therapy. And when you're in that environment, especially when it's for something incredibly serious, as mine was, it feels so comedic. To have this person like leading you in song or leading you in these like asinine exercises to speak about your feelings. And to have a comedian be brave enough to look at that and be like, I'm going to make a full on like experience just around that feeling of sitting there and being so uncomfortable in your skin and being like, why am I even here? Um, And still being able to bring in a touch of not even a touch of a vast amount of heart and emotionally moving mm. content it was incredibly moving though it was also hilarious no it's an extremely well-researched parody because at the mm-hmm. end he actually gives you a pamphlet with all of the studies yeah. and doctors and specialists so he yeah. really went deep into like is pornography addiction real? Can it be cured? Yeah. What kinds of solutions are people peddling? What's been studied? What works? What doesn't? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, meanwhile, he has a table set up of like shitty cookies and terrible tea and uh, DVDs and hats. Yes. With there, his... There's merch for sale. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, 
it was just um, exquisite. I can't believe I didn't think of it sooner. But I hope that he brings it back. And to me, that really matches your thorough line of saying Mm -hmm. this idea, like realism Mm -hmm. and just really well done acting or enthusiasm. Absolutely. Passionately well placed, passionately well researched can really like go farther than like the best set design, the most amazing. Absolutely. Oh yeah, no, there was audience participation in this. Yeah. There were people who were like, no, I'm not an actor. Yeah. What? Yeah. I I love that when you Mm. when you're in a show and you're convinced that someone is part of it, and it's not they're just sharing emotions, just squeezing in one more. Um, Part of the Afterlife Festival uh, Mm. was the group, uh, which I saw recently. um, Asher reviewed yes. uh, That was Michael Brown. I think that's right. And Katie Katie Green. Yes. Or Michael Brown. And this, <laughs> and this one, this was another uh, self-help group, therapy session. You're in a group and um, you were there. It was a bereavement group, but you were partnered with someone and one of you was the living person and one of the person, the other person was the person who had passed away. Wow. And this setting was one where you were chatting to the other people and the, the dead could interrupt, but you couldn't hear them and they were having their own side conversations. But I suddenly found myself in a place where I have been fortunate enough never to really ha- had to cope with bereavement, and that's, that's not something I've had so far. But I found myself openly talking about death and openly talking about the emotions and how that would feel to lose a loved one in whatever sense. And some people were playing uh, with with a family relationship, others it was partners, others it was business partners. But suddenly this is why immersive is so exciting and so important in that real emotions can be shared and real emotions are valid. And you can explore parts of yourself which you might never, I would never have considered talking about any of death, bereavement with, with anyone. It's just not, maybe it's because I'm British. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we, 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 we keep our, our feelings to ourselves. All inside. But just, yeah. this is why this work is so important. And that and um, the piece at the Guggenheim, just the revelations that you can have whilst and you're still enjoying a show, having those revelations is, is really mm-hmm. special. No, that's true because I, I mean, and to go back to my dance background, like I grew up in a very conservative, very like, like strict household. And when I was dancing as kind of that like psychotic circus person or when like, that's a true, like not to play on the trope of like self-expression and self like insightfulness and like exploration of like what you could be and what characters you can take on. And for dancers and actors and even singers and artists, like we have that way of expressing, but like. For someone who's maybe not has been as exposed or has been as privileged to have those types of lessons or those types of environments or even just safe spaces, Mm -hmm. what immersive does is, and I think this is maybe segueing into a larger conversation about creating these safe spaces, but like it really gives the ability of language and just personal interaction and human interaction a space to find that inflect that reflection and that like insightfulness of oneself that you might never have the time or energy or space to ever do in your life because you might not have some sort of creative outlet or found that outlet or your creative outlet might be disappointing you at some point like even even this idea that like who you are and being able to flip that on the dime doing D&D and doing LARP like all that is speaking to like a really true sense of who we are and like Again, like with screens and with even VR and AR, to me, it's like very interesting to be like, that's all cool, but like, 
how does it reflect back to the human that we're trying to always like put into the art that we do I think no yeah definitely and I've talked to people that they're like oh I didn't realize I was a run and chase person until sleep in a war mm. I didn't realize I liked doing this until I actually went into an escape room or into VR or started trying something new out so it also kind of like opens up those different avenues for your like true identity to even come out mm. 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 absolutely all right, so um, Michaela, what do you want to see more of? Like, how do you see this scene growing? Like, what's potentially missing or like an opportunity area? Mm. What do you want more? Ooh, that's a scary question. I mean, we do, we have this like abundance of riches here yeah. in New York, but I'm sure like there's more stuff that maybe other cities do better. Hmm. I feel like every specifically New York. I feel like I want us all to throw out this idea that like New York's been tapped out because like this is a gorgeous city, a gorgeous landscape, a gorgeous backdrop. There's reasons why like I feel like 60% of the shows and movies I watch take place in like a metropolitan based on New York. Like I want to see more renegade e subway e stuff. I want to see like stoop like we live in the city and we love and eat and sleep and breathe it and yes it might feel a little tapped out to us but like there's so much richness in the art and also like I also want to see more urban stories I feel like we tend to have these like very very high level like sleep no more ass then she fell as like our like pillars of light and obviously those have opened so many doors for people but I go and watch those shows sometimes and I'm like these storylines are fascinating, but, like, I don't feel called mm-hmm. to them sometimes because, to me, like, I'd rather see a story about a breakdancer or I'd rather see a story about someone who grew up in the Bronx or I'd rather see a story about a Filipino. What? Mm-hmm. Like, so, modern crazy. stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just... Like, and when I... And, but, like, like, using the urban environment we're given and, like, I want to see more more people telling amazing stories like group dot br br dot or br yeah. period like group br yeah. group br like like using such a rich like rich environment of literature that clearly spector has with inside the wild heart and then not shying away from the fact that like all these people speak like speak um portuguese yeah and like it was utilizing that mostly story. in english but lots of portuguese yeah. just kind of in and around the house yeah and like cool and like no you didn't need to read her like you were just going to come into her world and like be cool and I know we've talked you've talked about that show multiple times but like I want more of those like I want like a I want like a half Tagalog half English I want like a half like whatever you want to do like I want to see more of that and then like I think what's cool is what we've been talking about right now is like the bunker and um um the one that you were talking about that was like yeah and the ones that are just are not just quite as like produced can be the most impactful can be the most beautiful and so like if you're thinking about it and you're on the fence like just go do it and like see what happens even if it's a play test even if it's like a quick free throw it on the facebook group like i just want to see people be more brave mm-hmm. i guess i got like i totally agree with there. that absolutely yeah what about you ed what do i want to look forward to this year yeah um, what, do you, what do you think we need more of well what i love this year is that We've been speaking about him too much. Like, Ian, well done. You've had a good year. Um, but just the fact that 
immersive doesn't have to be so serious. That like you can have fun. It can be a lighthearted adventure. Mm. Um, and I think that's so exciting. Uh, the fact that we have both sides to, the set, to this coin. Uh, and it's not taking away from those that are serious or heavy, but the fact that you can have fun, you can have lighthearted stories. Uh, K-pop, was that this year? No, it was, was that, uh, that was, yeah, that was 2017. Don't spoil anything. I haven't oh. seen it's, it yet. It's coming back in 2019. Thank God. Oh, yes, please. We do. We desperately want a new Woodshed collective show. Oh. I want K-pop, period. I well, that too. <laughs> but also Woodshed, yes. Yeah. And just the fact that we can have lighthearted adventures as well as the serious ones is great. Mm. I'm a big fan of the um, pod plays and the audio mm. stories that are going on. Um, again, her long black hair. Like I know that everyone has said it, but if you've not done it yet and you are visiting New York or you are coming soon, like please do it. It's beautiful. Um, that's fantastic. I love being able to explore a new part of the city that I might not have been into before. And now I have memories that are associated associated with that place. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose really, I just want New York to like get its act together and like offer spaces. Like, the fact that there are empty lots and empty buildings, like, please, like, give them to immersive people. Like, I think Governor's Island, we've we've spoken about that a little bit, sounds like they have some options going up in the next little while about opening up uh, permanent spaces for people. I mean, that island has so much potential. It's such a creepy, awesome, brilliant Mm -hmm. place. So if we can get a couple of uh, creators in there and just give them free reign, I mean, that would be really exciting. And Leah? Oh, wow. Well, I echo what both of you have said. I agree completely. Um, And I'm afraid my answer seems kind of uh, too light comparatively. But for me, I am dying to see more illusion and old-fashioned magic Mm -hmm. in immersive. And I say that because not only am I a huge fan of illusionist work uh, and always have been, But I think we've seen quite a few pieces, and by quite a few, I mean a lot of pieces this year, kind of tapping at the door to that. Um, And I say this uh, with the note that I didn't actually see, what was it called, Six Impossible Things, Mm. uh, which I heard fantastic reviews of. So forgive me if uh, this... He's coming back. Okay, good. He's coming Um, back in March. This might be... um, Addressing all the shows besides that one. Um, But I think we've seen a lot of pieces. uh, The McKittrick especially has been pumping out, you know, The Illusionist Table, Speakeasy Magic, a bunch of uh, kind of old-fashioned magic shows. Uh, And they've always been nearly immersive, but not quite. Um, They've been immersive in that the audience has been involved, but uh, the argument could be made that since vaudeville the audience has been involved in that kind of routine and there's such a huge opportunity i think for up close magic and old-fashioned physical uh, effect to be used in the immersive space and a lot of times people are inclined to go towards technology or um, lavish set design prop design and i think there's this huge opening for the oldest tricks in the book, um, puppetry, illusionist work, ventriloquy, like that's all things that I've, since I was a kid, found to be the most um, impressive and, you know, inexplicable things that you can see in person. Mm -hmm. And to be able to bring that really into the immersive space, 
I've yet to see too many people. Again, I'm sure there have been at least a few this year that have done it, but I've yet to see too many where I was really blown away with um, physical effect. And it's the perfect space for it. It really is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, hearing you say that makes me repeat Mm -hmm. that you need to check out Six Impossible Things. Yeah. Also because a lot of it is around his personal memories. Mm -hmm. So he talks about the things he was obsessed with as a kid, the first magic trick he ever learned, um, how his parents Mm -hmm. met, who his inspirations are, um, the famous magicians that he's tried to emulate throughout his life. Yeah. Um, And you do bring up one show that was at the very, very beginning of 2018, um, The Doubtful Guest. Oh, yes, yes. So they combined magic with a seance, and their whole concept of spiritualism was that a good seance is like a party, Mm -hmm. and so to have a good party, you need to learn to be a good host. And so a lot of the kind of exercises that you did where you partnered with a stranger and talked about your family history were about that, and then all of the performers talked about their personal stories. So I believe one of them had a trunk, and he talked about how this was the trunk that came across the Atlantic Ocean with his family when they first landed at Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. Another woman shared the story about her grandfather passing. Mm-hmm. And because it was a seance, you do get kind of like those illusions, sleight of hand kinds mm-hmm. of things. So yeah. there, I think there's... It's, it's bubbling beneath the surface right now. Yeah, it feels very much like people know it should be happening, but it's not pervaded yet. Like, it's not uh, really leaked through into um, the space as much as I think there's the opportunity to. I think a lot about, and I'm not sure, this might have been last year, last, last year now, officially. This might have been 2017. Um, but I think a lot of, in and of itself... Which oh, I don't yeah. know if you so all good. caught that. Okay, Ed, you need to tell the story. Which story? Oh, Mr. Tomorrow. <laughs> Mr. Tomorrow. So in and of itself, amazing. Which we're not spoiling because it's over. Not spoiling, but which ama- is amazing, a heartbreaking thing. Amazing magic show by Derek. Del Guardio. Del Guardio, yeah. very good. Very good. See, Catherine is amazing. She knows everyone and everything. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's also because I stare at like all their Twitter handles. And right. produced by Frank Giles, which is really important. Yeah. Yes. But so I went to Magic Show, and at one point during the evening, uh, he asks for a volunteer, put your hand up, and... Um, uh, can you come back? Can, what, you what are you doing what, tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? Yeah. I, I had nothing on the next day, so I put my hand up. And it meant I didn't get to see the rest of the show. He kicked me out of the show halfway through uh, and said, you don't get to see the ending, but here's a book. And in the book, uh, I want you to write what you think happens at the end. And so I wrote whatever I thought was going to happen. And the most magic thing is that you look at this book. It must have been a thousand pages, something like yeah, that. The show ran for everyone, a long time. Everyone like writes their own what they think is right. going to happen Let's and their own uh, interpretation of what they think the show has been about, what's going to happen. And I got to go back the next day to actually see how it ended. So I was Mr. Tomorrow and handed it off to the next one. So. And every night he trusted someone with this book, yeah, this one-of-a-kind book. And the next day they always brought it back. It was always, always. back there. And I think there's something so incredible about the level of individuality that was accomplish sort of with that again like this is going to be a huge spoiler so if you're still hopeful that maybe in and of itself will come back uh mute your (laughs) podcast for like skip ahead a few minutes yeah skip ahead um but sort of in tandem with ed's story 
so the ending of the show involves uh, all of the audience members having chosen a word to describe themselves from a catalog of hundreds, if not a thousand. Like, there was a whole yeah, wall there were, of them. like, cards hanging on the wall in the lobby mm-hmm. as you yeah, came in. So yeah, so I am a father. I am yeah. a dancer. I am a proctologist. Like, <laughs> anything. Like, this yeah. huge list. Jokey ones, serious yeah. ones. And, I, and the end trick is that he identifies every person by the word that they've chosen. And I remember, for me, uh, there's one word that I have always related to that I never would have expected to see in the space and I walk in and somehow in that wall of a thousand cards I see this one card in the center alchemist and I say oh my god that's my card and I take it and as luck would have it I ended up being the final person who he addressed in the audience and there was this incredibly powerful moment of him going through this audience of a large audience. Yeah. Um, Maybe 80, 80, 80 to 100. if not 100. One um, by one, he one reads One by off. one, naming each. And perhaps one of the most powerful things I've experienced performer to performer is he finally reached me, the last person standing. And I remember him looking me in the eye with this aggression that I have never seen from a performer and this just like victory in his face. And he said to me, and you, miss, are the alchemist. Please sit down. Uh, And I was like, okay, I will sit down. Because he was right. And the whole audience burst into applause. And I was just like, that is the moment that we feel in immersive so often that I have never felt with illusion before. Where someone looks you in the eye and tells you exactly who you are and says, please sit down. And like, I, you feel seen. I felt seen beyond anything I have ever felt in that kind of show, and especially coming out of what to that point had been sort of immersive, but not totally, not for everybody, for a couple select audiences like Ed, uh, you know, a couple select audience members maybe felt like, seen. Yeah, like they were uh, participating, but like up until that point it was pretty yeah. standard magic show format, even though he was telling personal stories. Exactly. And that was the moment where I was like, you have clearly, deeply, in a way we can't explain, seen every single audience member in this place. And that sort of got the ball rolling for me of thinking about the place that illusion work or um, sleight of hand sideshow work, um, you know, a lot of these old styles of performance uh, have in our space um, and in the immersive space as a whole, just because um, I think a lot of the uh, kind of roots of immersive are in circus, are in uh, illusion, and I don't know how we sort of... um, skirted that for a while, but I'd love to kind of come back to that. Yeah, yeah, somehow bridge that gap. Yeah. And not just have uh, magic shows that feel vaguely immersive or in the McKittrick so we we think that they're immersive or, uh, you know, bring us in as any illusionist. Right, you're not really piercing or lifting the veil at that point, but we could do more. Or there's no story to it, like seeing it taken into the fictional side or seeing it taken into the fantastic side rather than, I'm a mentalist, so I'm going to read your mind, 
which is an incredibly impressive skill, obviously. Um, and you can get a lot out of it, but how much more effective might it be if a character in a story says, hey, audience member who's a ghost of my past, I'm going to read your mind. <laughs> it's, I think there's an incredible opportunity there. I also think for me, um, I want to see more nonfiction, and I come from a journalism background, so I think that like pulling into like true facts and true research, I know... Catherine was on another episode that was the year-end episode with Noah and Anthony. Anthony. Yeah. Um, and I know that, like, he, Anthony was talking about all the things in the public domain, but I'd, like, even... I'd even take that a step further and be like, go look at all the newspapers that mm-hmm. match that public domain. Mm-hmm. Like, like Carlo does amazing work. Carlo de Moore on Live in Theater does amazing work with, like, murder mysteries and, like, retelling of, like, this amazing drug addiction story that was photographed by Time Magazine. Like... Just, like, so much, like, can be pulled from, like, a single newspaper article. It doesn't have to be intense. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. ugly. And I think, like, the most beautiful stories can come also from newspaper articles. Even if it's the smallest little snippet that you see and then you expand on that as a creator. Like, I just highly, highly, highly would love to see... Highly, highly recommend slash would love to see more. Inspiration from real life, real stories. Yeah, or even, like, deeply researched and reconstructed stories. The one that I haven't seen yet, which I know I need to, is The Hidden Ones, which Mm. is... They just announced that they're extending from now right into March, which is so exciting for this uh, relatively small show. They've they've had... This is their third run. I mean, again, New York City has so much potential of space and opportunities, and if a show is good, it will run, and there will be space for it, and I completely believe that. But you're never going to know unless the show opens and mm-hmm. tries. So Hidden Ones, that's another one which is um, Holocaust-based, which I, I know you guys have checked out. Yeah. And is... Catherine and I were actually in the audience together for Hidden Ones. And I think both of us, to be candid, were surprised by how much we really enjoyed the piece. It is, and I think you said something like this in the last episode, or the 2018 mm-hmm. retrospective, Catherine, um, about how sensitive that material is and how kind of concerning I think it was. I know for me, um, when they announced the show, I was like, oh, like this could go, that really, could go really badly. Really poorly. Yeah. Like it's, it's a scary thing to see someone say, you know, I'm going to yeah. take right. on a family living in hiding during right. World War II. And you're like, I hope it's respectful. Yeah. I hope it does its due diligence. And there's always the concern of like, well, are they affiliated with an education center? Are they um, people who have a familial background with this? Or There's a whole list of questions you can ask um, when it comes to respecting real-life source material. Um, but, but I think that comes from getting like the ethics right. And like, mm-hmm. not to say, like, go and just take a story and... Yeah. <laughs> adulterize it or bastardize it but in a sense of like do the research do the respect be ethical but like we have those types of creators I think Mm -hmm. and I think you know who you are if you're listening to this or like you know who you could potentially be and I think like if you're thinking about doing a brave thing do a brave thing totally and I think that was what was so encouraging about the hidden ones is it did turn out well Mm -hmm. exceptionally so I think both of us really enjoyed it and it did present itself as a respectful and educated take on the subject, uh, which I know I personally found to be a huge relief, um, because I did go in kind of cautiously, and 
I agree that there's so much subject matter that can be uh, utilized. And I do wonder how much of that is like shied away from because it can be quite scary and it Mm. can be sensitive and it can be difficult. And I respect that, but I also um, am glad that people are tackling it even when it is intimidating. I mean, we need both sides of the spectrum, right? We need that higher, ambitious, mm-hmm. more fine art lens, and then we need the fun game, oh, yeah, whatever yeah. lens, too. Well, like, I mean, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, in a way, I, I'm i glad that I'm being challenged to be concerned. I'm glad that I'm being presented with pieces that I'm like, I hope they're respectful of this. I hope that they do this justice, because that means that they're talking about an important subject. And because when it works, immersive theatre is the only way that story could be told. Mm. If it's done well, it's not a piece that could be a presenting piece. You couldn't sit in the back of a theatre and watch this family happen on stage. That, that's one story and that, that's, that's but great. But it would not have the same impact. Impact, Absolutely. that emotional impact, that one-on-one moment. And mm. again, it, all of this, these conversations we're, we're having is it doesn't have to have huge budgets. It doesn't have to have mm-hmm. the grand spectacle. No. Sometimes the smallest moments, the most personal moments, mm-hmm. um, having a note handed to you, having you sign your name at the end of something. Um, I, I did a show where my photo was photoshopped into a family mm-hmm. album. And just that moment for me was amazing. And that doesn't take a huge resource, but having that smaller personal moment that's what makes immersive theater so magical yeah you know what's so funny uh you saying the photoshopping into the album made me think of this and forgive me because i don't i think this might have been last year was seeing you this year or last year i I think it was 2017 2017 yeah seeing you um which if y'all didn't catch was um a piece about world war ii uh that was a pretty big budget piece um had you know, big sets, a high name producer, uh, fancy music, fancy video, music video, video choreography, very um, kind of like sexy. It was uh, a spectacle driven. Spectacle piece. driven, yeah. but there were little moments that I found really, really moving. And one of my like prized possessions that I've ever come away with from an immersive show, because obviously, like. One thing that all immersive fanatics oh, know no. is you... You take a token. Take a token, yeah, yeah. And you treasure it forever. And I have this uh, Polaroid photo that one of the characters took of me, um, where he took me into his bedroom, and he was a black guy dating a white woman during World War II. Obviously not the best time to be that kind of person dating another kind of person that's very different from you. Um and he was a photographer, and he had taken all these beautiful photographs of his girlfriend. And he sat me down on the bed, and he said, close your eyes and think of the thing that you want most. And I did. And while I was doing that, I saw the flash in, uh, right, in so my like eyes. Right, through your eyelids. Yeah. yeah. And when I had opened my eyes, he handed me this Polaroid of me thinking of the thing I wanted most. And when I looked at the Polaroid his girlfriend's hands were behind my head, reaching out from behind me. And I have treasured that for the past year, year Year and and a half. half. Um, And beside all of the spectacle and all of the uh, choreography and set and lights and thousands upon thousands upon millions maybe of budget that went into it, 
that Polaroid photo was the most important thing that happened the entire time. Um, and I see that and I'm like, I could have done that. If I put a show together, I could take a Polaroid photo of somebody, Dick Treasure. You know, you don't need this like insane budget. You just need the thought of something really special that somebody can take away with them, be it physical or mental or whatever. Yeah, and if you're wondering like, oh, where do I start as far as play testing goes? Like, how do I start with like paper, pen, and maybe a Polaroid? Like, I highly recommend if you're based in New York going to Lance Weiler's monthly digital storytelling workshops for mm. Columbia Digital Storytelling Lab. Um, they just go to meetup.com and you'll find it. And that man, like, inspiration, <laughs> semi no, he's, he's awesome. Like, amazing person who has just dabbled in tons of transmedia, but what he does is he just starts with paper and pen and sometimes Play-Doh and sometimes index it's cards. Index cards, Play-Doh, Post-its. It's just it's like, so... Pretend this is a camera. Yeah. It's incredible. And, like, it just watching the way he just facilitates a room, and, like, you can do that with a group of friends. Like, it's mm-hmm. just so easy, and I think maybe it's just, like, for us, we feel like everything in New York is such a high bar to get into and get mm-hmm. over, and I guess, like, the, the like, theme of the, us all talking as writers and very, very big experts like Catherine is <laughs> we are not necessarily m- impressed by the most biggest budget things. I think, like, for us as maybe, like, immersive interactive connoisseurs, we're looking for the people who have the most thought, the most practiced timing, the most wonderful enthusiasm where it's well-placed. Creativity. Creativity. And you can just do that with yourself and some of what you might already have. Yeah, people Mm -hmm. are pretty forgiving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I think all of our favorites for the year, like, really kind of tie together and being fairly homegrown, give or take a few, obviously. Uh, Like, no one's going to turn a nose up at Behind the City. But (laughs) I feel like a lot of what's been really impressive this year has been... Um, people kind of thwarting the odds and saying we're going to make it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily the most expensive show. No, yeah. which I think that's so much more accessible for an audience member to interact with a lot of the time mm-hmm. um, because it is impressive in a different way. Yeah, and even for me coming from a VR AR background, like the most impressive piece I saw was Terminal 3, which was like Assad's piece about you oh, just man. put on a simple hollow lens. The the hologram is grainy. It's mm-hmm. spotty. It's like this it's tiny square. Tiny. It's it's moving around everywhere. But like that that yeah. weird hologram is telling you a story about a Muslim yeah. trying to get into the country, and you are a TSA agent, and you at the end of the day are merely following a decision tree branch. Very. Yeah, it, Branching narrative controlled by your voice. And yeah. it was like, mm-hmm. you have one of three answers to choose. And as you were answering them, only like the last five, like it's like, and it, it slowly, like, it slowly, like, near yeah, like, you. You get funneled into this single decision point. Yeah. Like, let them in or not. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, it's not new scientific work, but it was just the way it was told. It, like, yes, it was AR, and yes, it was a little less accessible as far as like, like th- or, or like throughput like only right. one person can go in at a time right but for like AR VR to me that was like probably the most impactful it was I did shockingly year. impactful and the the set was two office yeah it looked like an office and there were some signage that indicated you were at the airport That's that was the, that was the set did any of y'all see flight at the McKittrick this year 
Where I was not. I was not a big oh, fan. Oh, I was so moved by Flight. I was really impressed by Flight. So the thing that I went very early on, mm. and that was before they had updated the content advisory. So it just said oh. psychological situations and it, that it might be intense. Oh, it's intense. La- later, they added a bullet for sexual violence. Yeah, mm. that's and I was fair. Like, mm, that's guys. yeah. That is that's a fair point. That's an important thing to include. And like to Ed's point, like these headphone plays or anything with binaural sound mm. like you cannot escape the experience no it's incredibly immersive in a different sense so uh for those who didn't see flight it was a story told only through miniature diorama there were no actors it was just a rotating diorama of scenes and you had binaural microphones on um, and you were, or microphones headphones right. on you were, you were in like a single um viewing booth you were all alone just in a Looking- pod by yourself um, looking at these dioramas like rotating by and hearing a story narrated to you in surround sound and they had like vibrating plates under the seats so they would shake when there were like, like when they were on a train impact. or something um, yeah and it was a really interesting practice for me in experiencing immersion by myself with no actor and I will say it certainly wasn't um, basic or homegrown the uh, amount of effort that must have gone into the actual um, fabrication of it I can't even imagine the detail in those dioramas were like over over a hundred tiny scenes and it was on a giant rotating wheel so that as the lighting changed the correct scene would come into view it was incredible and like tiny lights that made I remember there was this one diorama that showed a highway and you've been seeing dioramas probably like four inches deep five inches deep Mm -hmm. for a long time and this one was like a foot deep and it felt like it was a mile long Mm -hmm. they were like really playing with scale so it's interesting that you felt immersed because I felt disconnected that's fascinating from the dioramas because it was about you know, like, the, the main characters of the story are only an inch or two high in mm-hmm. front of you. And so, to me, it felt like there was actually more of a separation. Mm-hmm. That's Because really I was like, they're not human. They don't look human. They're not trying to be right. human. They're not moving. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. And I do wonder, too, how much of that comes from, like, for me, I am a big, like, uh, physical fabrication person. Like, that's always been something I've connected to. So maybe it's partially that is... I am a little more, I guess, uh, used to storytelling in that medium, and I don't miss an actor in that medium, whereas I don't think that's the case for everybody, for sure. I mean, like, I was very focused, and I was paying attention. Yeah. And I was definitely, like, listening to the story. Yeah. But whenever I... And I get a lot of this stuff in my inbox, which is, like... (laughs) Theater in the round, theater in the surround, a cabaret, something that's more like great comet staging or Sweeney Todd staging, or they're like, hey, we're immersive, and then you show me like a catwalk, a platform, a side stage, or you're on the ledge of a bar. I personally am trying to move away from including those things on the site and in the newsletter because I feel like our readers have really high standards now because they've been exposed to so much, whether it's Woodshed, Third Rail, these smaller companies, Mm -hmm. they've you know, most people in the millions have been to sleep no more multiple times. And so I'm like, all right, where do we start um, kind of curating a little more? Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit why, you, you know, you might get a note that's like, hey, how come this isn't on the site? Yeah. It's like we're not literally trying to include everything in such an intense market in New York. Um, and obviously, 
all of us can't see everything ahead of time, so we don't actually know how it might end up actually being staged. Um, as much as I loved Great Comet, I saw it twice, and I love Sweeney Todd, and I loved Here Lies Love, that's not necessarily something I'm going to put in No Proscenium. Well, so, and Once yeah. on This Island. Yeah, yeah I, which I also loved and yeah. saw, and the goat was adorable, and I got <laughs> rained on, but it's not necessarily something that fits the purview of our site. I do think there's this like kind of um, unfortunate marketing ploy right now of saying something is immersive, uh, whether or not it actually is, and that's really. I've read, read that to mean we don't have chairs. Yeah, the end. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like you see it everywhere now, from like theater to even like product marketing. Uh, there's all so over many, XR, literally yeah, everywhere. Yeah, so Michaela's rolling her eyes. Yeah, so many like symposiums where you're at it, and a company will say, "Oh, come to our immersive brand experience," and it's Technology like, "Okay, it's just like a beer company pouring beer for us. Like, that's not immersive. I just get a beer out of it." Uh, and I think that's become really prominent. Um, so I can see how um, you, Catherine, like especially as the editor up to all of this might um, be particularly picky because it's held, I think Immersive has held such a sacred space for a long time. And now that it's kind of being used. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's trendy. Yeah, it's trendy. And it feels very much like, oh, like the, like when the nerdy kids at school start wearing a certain kind of clothes and everyone like makes fun of them and like turns their nose up at them and it's like, okay, whatever. And then two years later, they're all wearing it and are like, oh, it's super cool and counterculture and, you know, punk rock. Uh, and, but but like know. at the same time, when you think of the best of the best branded activations, true. So by South Westworld, like <laughs> first there was all of the Westworld activations at San Diego and New York Comic Con, yeah. and there was South by Southwest World, right? But there's also those smaller ones like them actually building a Purge City store at this past San Diego Comic Con. Totally. And, or even Behind the City, which is also sponsored by McKellen. Totally. So you can't, I don't want to like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's a totally good point. And there is. I think there's totally room for it in marketing. In fact, I'm like begging for there to be room for it in marketing because I think it's a great way to sell a product, if I'm being honest. But I think it needs to be genuinely immersive if you're going to do that and use that tag. And I do think that we as uh, fans of the medium and as creators of the medium, we need to be keeping an eye out for this stuff as well. So if people are saying, oh, this is an immersive X and it isn't, then there's an element where we need to be the ones that need to be reporting to each other at least and saying, eh, no, yeah, no, that, that, that ain't immersive. There, there's a certain musical that recently closed that uh, some friends and I noticed they took that word out of the marketing materials after a while. Because yeah. I think they probably got people who came in expecting one thing and were getting a different thing. Now that other thing might be totally legitimate and fine, but that's not what they were expecting having been weaned on Vinci Fell and the Vinci yeah, It's one of those things where I want to take the marketing person who decided that that was the word to go with and like stick them in the McKittrick Hotel on the sixth floor and be like, are you what doing do you this? think now? Are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. one, of the, one of the great workshops and talks uh, that was this last year was uh, the head of Woodshed, mm. which is Teddy... 
Bergen. Bergen. Yep. Um, he did a great talk on um, casting the audience, mm-hmm. uh, which a couple of us went to. Um, and that was a really fascinating talk. And I think it's important for all creators, all um, shows to be really considering what is the role of the audience here. If it is just to be an audience member that is walking around the space, where's the agency? Where's the motivation? Where's the emotion behind it? Whereas if you go to uh, Beloved Departed, you are a wedding guest and you are part of that bridal party. If you go to uh, Sleep No More, that, that's an interesting one and there's lots of different thoughts and theories I know, but if you, you are casted as a ghostly figure and a part of the... Um, or or you, at least your role is implied. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have unfortunately seen shows where suddenly you're just there and things are happening and it's around you and that's great but, but why you don't know why you're there why, right. like why why am I here at this time in this place why and is somebody talking to me during this scene absolutely and I think that's why suddenly implementing parts of LARP or giving yourself characters or even even asking people to dress in a certain way uh, when I saw Carmen everyone was dressed to the nines in 1950s outfits and it was transformative because suddenly I'm not just here, I'm, I'm surrounded by everyone is dressed like they're in a Havana club. Whereas, I mean, out of Bikitrick, sometimes you get guys who are in jeans and no. T-shirts and caps and all that sort of stuff, which is fine, but this idea of casting an audience and really giving, it gives the show so much more. It gives you so much more buying power into tapping into emotions, tapping into the story, tapping into where you want the evening to go if the audience has a part to play. I think a lot about... Um, this thing that Tom Pearson, one of the founders of Third Rail, said during one of his workshops, which if you are an immersive creator, go to the Third Rail workshops. They will change your life. And it's the cheapest entry into a good education in immersive. Um, It's honestly like it feels like highway robbery sometimes, how affordable those workshops are. Um, please don't change the price, third rail. I'm so happy that it's the price it is. Leah would like a punch card if that is also <laughs> Please, possible. Do you have a membership fee? Um, but Tom Pearson, in one of his workshops, said, as deeply as you bring an audience member into an experience, you have to do that many steps to bring them back out. Mm-hmm. And that was an incredibly effective way of explaining how you should cast an audience and how you should treat them when you're working with them. Because I do think one thing that can really disrupt an experience is if you're not brought five steps down, you're taken from one to five. Or on the other side, you're taken five steps down, but then they wrench you out of it back out to one. Or they plunge you five steps like immediately so you feel like you're falling into something. Exactly. Um, and there's this real cautiousness that I think Third Rail takes with their audiences that's incredibly like effective, where there's this communication that you're going deeper, and then a communication that you're going back to the real world. Mm-hmm. And I'm so interested to see how that line can be played with in a safe and meaningful way, because I think when that line isn't respected, that's when it gets confusing. That's when it gets unsafe. That's when consent gets questioned. 
a lot of really dangerous things can happen if you're not clear about how you're casting your audience and how deeply they're going into the story. Um, and again, like another uh, token of wisdom from those workshops is that you're just two people in the room together, yourself and the actor or you know, yourself, the audience member, however you're coming at it. Uh, you're two people in the space together and you, there's a sort of magic experience that immersive provides where you're on the same plane with the actor, with the character, whatever. And if that power exchange um, shifts without warning, it can be a really sort of dangerous, tricky space to get out of and to navigate. And I think what Ed was saying about casting the audience and what Teddy was saying in his talk about casting the audience um, deserves so much more respect because when there's a specific role granted to the audience or even just specific guidelines, um, not just what you can't do, but what you can do, that's when you really feel safe to play and you feel uh, comfortable immersing yourself and letting yourself go inside of a space. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was very, very well put, Leah. Thank you. All right. Um, so we've been at this for a while. How about one last lightning round? Lightning round. Uh, lightning yeah. Round. <laughs> um, what one show really gave you FOMO this past year, Michaela? Oh, like yeah. I didn't see yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Me first. Um, can I come? Can you? Okay, Leah. Was K-pop serious? No, okay, no, you have ser serious FOMO. I have such FOMO for K-pop, I can't even yeah. explain. Okay. Um, the third rail behind the city. Wish I had got to that one. Absolutely. And then you, Michaela? I like the scariest look on my face right okay, now. Okay, uh, outside NYC. Oh, uh, God, I should know the name of this. Is it Safe House? Yes, What's the number? Safe House 77. Safe House 77. As soon as I can get out to LA, expect me pounding down your door. All right. Okay. You hear that, Nick? <laughs> um, what did Secret Cinema do last year? Were they on this uh, year? They had two. Uh, they did Romeo and Juliet in the yes. summer, mm. and then in the winter into spring, they did Blade Runner. Yes, that's right. Oh, I, so I was visiting my family back in London, and I missed the start of Romeo and Juliet by one day. I was gutted. That's Secret Cinema. Anyone in London, check out their stuff. Mm. They're just amazing. I don't, why isn't that here yet? Why isn't there... Well, the McKittrick, the McKittrick tried something sort of similar, but it, it just wasn't quite the same. But yeah, movies and America and immersive. Yeah, I mean, get together. Get together. There's uh, folks in Toronto, I know, doing something similar, and there's folks in Australia doing something similar. We and like House of Yes has Little Cinema. Um, I don't know if it's specifically House of Yes or if Little Cinema goes other places as well. Other places. Other places as well. Um, but the world building of Secret Yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy. Just it's not All that right. level Was yet. that enough time for you? Yes, New <laughs> York okay. is beloved departed. Mm. Oh. Yeah, and outside of New York, um, is this going to be a cheater? Yeah, it's totally going to be a cheater. Whatever. So Shanghai, Shanghai Disneyland. Oh, I still have major FOMO. I still want to go to Shanghai Disneyland so bad. I'm a huge theme park nerd. Have you seen the Haunted Mansion at uh, the Hong Kong Disneyland? No. Oh my gosh. Watch the ride there is online. It's incredible. <laughs> also, Star Wars is coming. Star Wars. Star Wars oh, is see, coming. That, this is going to be attainable. Now we're going to be... Yeah. Oh, but question... But like, 
Not to be the Noah of the episode. <laughs> wow, you just okay. called thing. But I love Star Wars. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I'm so excited Absolutely. for that. Also, speaking of Shanghai, can we put down a collective table FOMO over Shanghai Sleep No More? Yes. Because mm. I don't think any of us have been out to no, the McKinnon no. yet, but of yeah. course, all of us, I'm and sure, And then there's the, the bonus room experience. Yeah, oh my god, to. you can sleep there overnight. Or is it like room 589 or something? Some like kind that? of number. Oh very The Shining choice. All right, very The Shining. <laughs> Well, this has been a wonderful, wonderful evening. Oh, wait, Ed is saying one more, one more. Just want to sneak it in. Um, Catherine, you're amazing. Um, just Thank you. Genuinely, I don't think anyone quite realizes how much Catherine is doing so for true. No Pro, for everything immersive, for IDS, all that sort of stuff. Catherine is the bomb. Stop. She knows she really because is. she she will she would not let anyone say this publicly. So I'm trying to so sneak true. it in whilst I can. I am so editing this. No, out. Catherine. No, you're not. Catherine, thank you so much for knowing everyone, for fishing mm-hmm. for all the new shows, mm-hmm. for sharing them to all of us, and for um, doing all the spell checking and grabbing oh mistakes. God. You are. Always. It's while not whilst. Also, okay, like, uh, you go to every show, and if Catherine's there, she's got the biggest smile on her face. It's just so enthusiastic. And it's just like, sometimes you'll go to a show and you're like, I'm tired, I spent the whole day at work. Then you see Catherine, and you're like, she spent the whole day at work. So I should match her energy. And Catherine's always like been great about telling me when she needs a plus one. So thanks for always yeah. seeing me as your plus one. Because then I get to just enjoy the show and not have to worry about writing it up. While Catherine has to be standing there worrying about writing it up. True. <laughs> we love you. And everybody help No Pro, Go Pro. Because yeah. Catherine... Is yeah. doing a full time job doing really this. Yeah, stuff. big time. Free her from her pain. Oh, please. We've we've got lots of help, lots of folks all around the world. More. <laughs> more, more, more. It's it's happening. San Francisco, LA, London, mm-hmm. trying to get more Chicago people in. Someone Yay. in Mexico wants to help out. So yeah, we're gonna we're ever Taking so slowly over. World domination. Also, if you saw that year-end newsletter that had the most gorgeous graphics, that was all you, wasn't it, Catherine? I I know a little Gorgeous graphics. I know a little Photoshop. I was so impressed. All right, right, guys. Enough, enough. Wrap it up. One more episode for Catherine's fan club. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Catherine Yu, and this has been Leah Abelson, Edward Malchrist, and Michaela Holland, and we are... Some of No Pro New York, and we will see you again very soon. Bye. Bye. I just want to point out that I did not cut off the laughter there. That's how the recording is. So that will haunt me for the rest of my days. Um. <laughs> There's something like extra like strange about like a mid laugh cut off. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, the coffee's still going, of course. Uh, for those, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know that like I I like record the top and then like paste in the interview and then instantly start recording the back end. So. Um, the only downside of that is like, I'll have no insight to offer about what we just listened to or what the interview just was. Um, so it's not like I can riff off that. Uh, and given my improv training, like riffing is like the, the main thing I'm maybe decent at. Um, I don't know if I'm good at anything. I just think of myself as decent at things. Um, where, where, where were we at the start? I think I was whining about 20. No, I, I, I was like whining about 2019. Um, 
it, it definitely the year has a different tone to it already. Um, on in terms of like the newsletters, like we had fifteen, I think, things in the North American newsletter this week, um, just popping off all over the place. Um, uh, a lot of stuff on the East Coast, like very very heavy on the East Coast. Um, Denver's really starting to come alive too. Um, the Los Angeles newsletter is going to come out this week. So is the New York newsletter. Uh, LA is 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 gearing up. There's a lot of improv-based immersive happening in um, in LA, like uh, in interactive improvisational. Uh, there's a, there's a high school reunion show that I'm going to tonight. Um, I'm recording this Saturday morning because uh, we're just running running a little bit late this week. Um, mostly because yeah, for those who are wondering, yes, we are in production hell on IDS right now. And, um, it's, um, it's funny cause like we, we doubled, we doubled the length, we doubled, uh, the number of people we're serving, uh, which is still like not enough. Like I, I wish we had a room where we could like have like, you know, 700 people in. So we're working on that, uh, for the future. Um, and, uh, but I think if we had tried to do something at that scale this time, I think we'd be dead right now. Um, just it's, um, yeah, yeah. Productions, they're, they, they get exponentially harder. Um, what else is going on in the world? Uh, Leia's going to be making some uh, programming announcements uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, the outreach team uh, reached out uh, the other day with uh, some dates, and that's going to be cool. We got uh, a good part of the year kind of figured out over there. Um, it's uh, it's I, it's it's fun being part of like different organizational structures. Like you know, no proscenium is uh, internally kind of uh, a dictatorship. Um, uh, Leia is. Uh, you know, a, a, a socialist collective, <laughs> effectively, of committees. Um, we've got our own Politburo. Uh, and um, IDS right now is, like, I, I um, it's, it's Rome. <laughs> the, the tribunes go run it. Uh, so, like, all very different, different, different uh, structures. Uh, and then in my day job, um, my, my day job is, you know, um, it's a it's a kind of standard issue 501c3 uh, you know structure so my, my head I spend most of my day thinking about corporate structures weirdly enough kind of like distances me from um, from from the groundwork um, very excited that Kevin's on board to uh, run the LA reviews um, it's it's nice having part of that burden off my shoulders Um Catherine, of course, is like kicking butt. I, I, I don't want to give you guys like you know the the internal mechanics update. Um, although that's sort of the the thing about right now is like I, I spend so much time on that stuff that I don't get as much time thinking about the big broad picture uh, that I I used to, which is one of the reasons why like we're recruiting up. Um, speaking of recruiting up, might as well. Um, the door is open. Just, you know, if you're someone who's interested in, uh, particularly if you're in a territory we don't have people active in, just know that it is a raw deal. Um, we get access uh, and we get a platform and uh, the money that comes in pays for the things we got to do and uh, gets stockpiled for the day when we can actually maybe truly pay people, um, which... Uh, 
constantly looks like it's happening. And then, you know, uh, there's a lot of Lucy with the football action. Um, five years into this journey, uh, there's, there's some things that kind of like drive me a little bit more nuts, uh, just cause you like, isn't that solved by now? And it looks like, uh, I don't want to say the R word, but, uh, it feels like the economy as a whole is, is headed towards some bumps. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that entertainment tends to do well during those periods of time, but we are, we're, you know, we're, a, I hate to say it, but in a lot of ways, we're in a luxury industry. This is what I really want to talk about this week. So I hope people stuck around because um, there, there are things to talk about and consider around this concept, which is price. We haven't done this talk in a little bit. Um, there's a number of, there's a number of events out right now and, and I'll have conversations with folks about uh, how much something cost versus um, sort of what the perceived value was. Um, and there's also been a trend of late where some folks have gone and they've, um, because they haven't gotten the ticket sales they wanted, they've discounted uh, tickets kind of partway through the run. And I want to give a warning on that to producers. Um, there's another way to do it. Um, you want to try to avoid uh, putting tic discounting tickets after you've gone on sale uh, for two reasons. One, um, the optics on it are like things are going wrong, okay? And I think anyone can tell you that. Uh, I mean, that's not brain surgery. And two, um, you wind up accidentally punishing uh, someone decided to call <laughs> while we were doing that. So I'm like, stopping. You wind up punishing the people who were your early adopters. There's a better way. It's called progressive pricing. Uh, and it's something that a lot of theater companies, just theater, theater companies use. It works a little like this. You make your early, and some of it should be familiar from like doing previews. The earlier in the run, the cheaper it is. Now, you don't want to price yourself to the point where you've cut it so close to the bone that you are losing more money than you can afford to. Because, like, if you're making money, please tell us how. But you don't want to get it so that you're losing more money than you can afford to at the beginning of the run. But you want to encourage people to come at the beginning of the run because that, you know, involves you get buzz on right you get people excited about the show and for those people who are early adopters who are likely to buy in early it gives them a, a reward and then as the run goes on you raise the prices uh you can do this either by just raising the prices after a certain cutoff date right you know you say like oh hey you know two weeks before the show um we, before we open, the price is this much. And then after that point, it's going to be X. Or you can do it weekend by weekend, right? Like if the run is long enough, you can go ahead and set things up that way. Um, obviously, if you've got just a one weekend show, you're probably going to go with the former structure and not the latter. Um, this is the sure bet when it comes to rewarding early adopters. And we're still in a place in the market where we're in, where the vanguard of fans, uh, the folks who are early adopters, the folks who are curious, uh, you know, who sometimes are motivated by FOMO 
or who are completionists, you know, they're going to buy early and you do want to reward them. You want to reward them when, you know, when possible with a great show, right? That's the best reward possible because no matter how much it costs, if they have a good time, they may come back. Right. I mean, look at theater macabre, like the people who love that show went back over and over again. And that was an expensive ticket. Uh, and some people went five times. Right. Um, but you also want to reward them for being early. Uh, so think about that as a tool in your toolbox. Um, the other thing is, you know, we've we've long held the sort of like a dollar a minute uh, as as a as a gauge, right? Um, I want to clarify a dollar a minute um, because I, I f- well, when I started framing things in that way, you're about to say, he's going to say he was stupid and young and naive. No, 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 no. I was thinking largely about your one-on-one experience, okay? And I still use it as like a rule of thumb. Value is always going to be subjective, particularly when we're talking about a product that appeals to people across a, a, a fairly wide socioeconomic strata. Okay. There are struggling college kids and there are people who drive BMW and Mercedes, like recent ones, not like their parents to these shows. All right. I mean, not in New York, because like who drives in New York, but get my point, right? You know, folks, folks are using an actual cab not to, or, or getting the Uber X. Okay. Like use your imagination. I'm talking about, there's some rich people who do this. Okay. And there are people who have no money who do this stuff. When you are pricing out your work, know that if you're providing a high level of attention, right, to your audience, right, you're feeding that back, that's where the value is. Now, the quality of that attention, right? Different audience members come with different expectations. They want to play in different ways, right? And you can't necessarily sort for everyone. One person may find a piece where they need to bring a lot of their own initiative to it. Really rewarding at a high ticket price, right? Other folks may see that high ticket price and expect that they're going to um, be guided, right? That the attention that's happening isn't, you know, performers waiting for to take their cue off of the audience member, but indeed that they're going to be presented with a lot of options and given clear choices. Whatever form of story, whatever form of experience you're crafting when you're charging, Think about how much individual time each member of the audience is going to get in terms of attention. How much focus, how often are they in the spotlight? How much do they matter to what's going on in, particularly in a, in a show where there's like a group of people going through something, managing that spotlight gets trickier, right? Let's say you built a show that does require or or does give a lot of narrative agency 
to the audience, almost to the point where you're thinking about them as players, right? Maybe you're internally saying, well, the players are doing this, right? Or maybe you're just sticking with participants. But nonetheless, you're using language internally that suggests a high degree of agency from the people who are paying to be there, all right? Is that an aggregate high amount of agency? Or are there specific points? Are there, will everyone get a turn to shine or will it only be the people who step up to shine? Well, guess what? If it's the latter and you're charging everybody the same amount of money, right? You see where this is going. Some people are going to be like, well, I, I spent the same amount of money as Dan and Dan did everything, right? Oh, Dan, always oh, doing everything. Um... If you're thinking of the Dan I was thinking of, I was thinking of Dan Didio, one of the publishers of DC Comics, and don't get me started. Um, <laughs> there's a whole meme plex there. Don't worry about it. Uh, and we're, we're approaching like the two hour mark. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this little rant up. <laughs> Luckily, not two hours of this rant. It's a long show. Um, as you're designing your price. Feel free if you have certain tracks that are have more agency to offer those up at a premium. That's an option. When you're designing your schedule of, of how you want to get people in, right? Think about progressive pricing as a tool. When you're gauging the value of something, Think about how much attention you're giving each person, how much time you afford to give people that attention and how you're balancing attention, agency, information, right? It's okay to not nail everything. You don't have to be perfect. Someone is always going to complain about anything you do, right? If you're working in the public eye and other people are always going to just be happy to be there, but you as a producer and a creator, you want to be asking yourself questions and you want to be honing your craft always. All right. So think about that stuff. It's worth it. Okay. There. Ah, a classical Noah rant. Hmm. I haven't seen that guy in a while. Good to be back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Presidium 2019. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. Let's do the credits for the show. The music for No Presidium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Presidium are Presidium. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I can't say the word. Our sustaining backers are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurstan, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Office facilities are provided by Thymele Arts in Los Angeles, California. The managing editor of No Presidium is Catherine Yu. The publisher is this guy. Um, anything else you need to know? Nah. Reach us uh, if you have a show. It's pitches at nopresidium.com. Um we are at no proscenium on Twitter and Facebook. We are at no underscore proscenium on Instagram. Uh, you can find a bazillion reviews, interviews. If you honestly, if you listen to the show and don't go to the website, I do not know how that happened. Go to the website. Um, that's it for now. 
Again, I'm your host, Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>